Hey, it's Catherine, and you're listening to The Double Shift. Before we get started on this episode, I want to let you know we've put together a listener survey, and we'd love to learn more about you, our listeners, and get your feedback on the show so far. It takes just a few minutes, so please go to thedoubleshift.com slash survey. That's thedoubleshift.com slash survey. Thanks so much. Tiffany Fry couldn't find any work setup that let her be the kind of mother she wanted to be. So she did something pretty radical. She created a whole new kind of workplace. I remember this one particular person saying, oh, that's definitely not going to work. Like, there's no way that's going to work. It's like, all right, thank you for your feedback. You know, (laughs) I'm still going to do it. This is The Double Shift the show about a new generation of working mothers. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Every Mother Works, and this podcast is about our stories. It's not about parenting or kids. It's about us and challenging the world we live in today. Tiffany is 33 and the mom to a five-year-old and a toddler. She lives in Durham, North Carolina. When her first child was born, she was working as an editor for academic journals, and her company already had a pretty flexible work-from-home policy. After a three-month maternity leave, her plan was to do that for 35 hours a week while taking care of her daughter at the same time. <laughs> Turns out it was challenging to be at home with an infant with no additional childcare while trying to get work done. Like, really, really challenging. <laughs> One of the things that I think kind of showed sort of the level of desperation that I was at with needing to conserve my work time was I wore her in a baby carrier for her naps, every nap. And my husband would come home and I would be complaining about my back hurting. And he would say, why don't you put her down for her nap? But I knew that if I put her down, there was a chance she would wake up. Oh God, I am picturing Tiffany with an increasingly heavy baby strapped to her front, frantically typing work emails. I probably did permanent damage to my back and can barely sit up straight anymore. It just had to happen. That was the only way that I could make my day work was by having her on me in the carrier, um, sitting on one of those big exercise balls at my desk, just bouncing, 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 and getting as much work done in the allotted nap times as I could. She did this working, bouncing the baby thing longer than I would have thought possible, till her daughter was two years old. Tiffany didn't have any family close by, and the cost of a babysitter or nanny was just out of the question. At the time, her husband was a teacher with full work days and a long commute. This kind of childcare dilemma is so common, especially for new parents. And the lack of affordable options is a very real factor that pushes many mothers out of the workforce. Tiff toured daycare centers, and even though she thought a number of them were perfectly nice and well-run, they didn't feel quite right for her at the time. She says they were a bit too impersonal. It just feels like there's something missing when you you drop your child off. They're with these other children all day long. You pick them up, but there's no other interaction. You don't know the other children. You don't know the other parents necessarily. What she really craved was a sense of community around parenting. 
she dreamed of a communal office, a, a co-working space that also had reliable childcare. And there was nothing. And not only was there nothing in North Carolina, there was, I think at the time there was Next Kids in San Francisco. And then I think there was one space in Austin, Texas. And that was it in the whole country. As her daughter got older, she realized that if she needed this, others probably did too. She pictured a place where parents, especially moms, could charge ahead professionally, but also have lunch with their kids or pop in and do an art project without being in separate worlds miles apart. She knew she couldn't be the only one. I put out just a couple of very casual messages on some neighborhood listservs and Facebook, I think, and got about 40 RSVPs to a potluck at my house. People that were starting businesses or they were freelancers or they were remote or they had taken time off from work and were trying to go back to work. And they all needed this in-between option, something to fill this gap to get them back on their feet and their work and to have something for their children in the meantime. And there's okay, you know, there's the need for this. There's a need, but not everyone thought this was like a genius business idea. I got a lot of pushback right at the beginning when I was still working on the idea. I went to a co-working conference that was held here in town. And I remember this one particular person who was very involved in the co-working scene here saying, oh, that's definitely not going to work. Like, there's no way that's going to work. It's like, all right, thank you for your feedback. You know, (laughs) I'm still going to do it. And um, I think that's just been my approach. Now I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor, Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well, easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. I love to cook, but sometimes during a busy week, I don't want to deal with fussy meal prep, trips to the store for forgotten ingredients, or complicated recipes. That's why I love to let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for me. Recipes include pre-made measured sauces, dressings, and spices, so you can get more flavor in less time. On this week's menu, they've got roasted harissa chicken with tahini spice sauce, roasted butternut squash, and apple slaw. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Today, we have a special offer just for you, Double Shifters. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash doubleshift. That's greenchef.us slash doubleshift. Now I want to tell you about a brand new podcast on our network, Critical Frequency. It's called Deep Democracy, hosted by longtime progressive movement pros Wilnelia Rivera and Gina Cristo. Deep democracy is the belief that those at the margins should be at the center and that restructuring the political landscape in this way delivers a better country for all. Wilnelia and Gina met while working on Ayanna Presley's campaign and realized that what seemed obvious to them that this country is ready for grassroots organizers like Presley and Alex Ocasio-Cortez to take the lead was a surprise to D.C. pundits. 
with guests like She the People founder Amy Allison, campus organizer Clarissa Brooks, and Me Too movement godmother Tarana Burke, they'll unpack what's wrong in both parties and the political system in general, and what's really right in the grassroots movements and their leaders. Plus, Gina has done some deep academic study on motherhood, so you know they're going to bring moms into their intersectional thinking. Listen and subscribe to Deep Democracy wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. Tiffany and her co-founder Liz Taroller started a co-op space with parents taking turns watching the kids in Tiff's house. And then in June 2015, they opened Nido, which means nest in Italian. Tiffany is now the executive director of Nido. It's in this cute little one-story craftsman house. The front part of the building has a couple of conference rooms with cozy couches, a fully tricked out nursing room with boppy pillows, and there's also a big multi-purpose table where a lot of the parents work on their laptops. The back of the house is a full-on preschool wonderland with a play area and a garden. I visited a couple of times to check it out. One thing I love, the password, the Wi-Fi password here is baby wearing one, two. I just feel like that really sets the tone <laughs> for the uh, friendliness of the space. There are between 25 and 30 families enrolled at any given time. A co-working plus childcare membership costs between $495 and $1,060 a month for half days of care. It's not cheap. But for some parents, especially nursing mothers, it's worth it. Women can breastfeed in between tasks instead of schlepping to a lactation room closet. And I saw this happening. Even Tiffany paused our conversation when she got a text from her son's teacher that said he was ready to nurse. Part of what we do here is really encourage people to show up as whole humans who aren't just workers. They're not just valued based on their economic output. For a woman to be able to come into our space and know that she can say, oh, I'm feeling really rough today because my child didn't sleep and no one's going to look at her and think, oh, you're not professional or you clearly have your priorities backwards or something like that. Like, that's not going to happen here. You can get advice on your logo and your business plan and also on your sleep training for your child or whatever it is that's going on in their lives at that time. I think that validation is huge. Um, Being around people who are also trying to do this thing that seems impossible. After a productive morning of work, the kids come streaming out of their classroom to have lunch with their parents. The idea of this middle path of childcare and co-work spaces together is starting to catch on across the country. Five years ago, when Tiffany first became a mom, there were two in the whole U.S. Now she knows of around 20 that are open or about to open. And it seems like the time has truly come for this idea. Three years ago, when I was looking at co-working spaces in Brooklyn, I emailed a manager to ask what their pumping room situation was. The man in charge wrote back, I'm not sure what this is referring to. Is this a question about bicycle maintenance? Um, no. But 
Running a co-working space centered around mother's needs does have challenges. It's expensive to run, and they're both low-margin businesses. So it costs a lot. Childcare costs a lot, and there's no way around that, especially with the ratios we have here. We pay a living wage to all of our employees, and our tuition cost is going to reflect that. Nito is now a nonprofit. They often have a wait list, and people are always wondering when they're going to open more locations. A big limitation of Nito is that they only offer half days of childcare, and Tiffany really wants to be able to better support parents who need full-time care. A bigger space would let her meet the state requirements for having an all-day school. Just being here has really helped me have the freedom to figure out what my job is going to be. Maggie Powell has a toddler and is one of Nito's members. If I had not had this community and the freedom to do that, we probably would not be having this conversation. <laughs> I would probably be working back at a nine to five and putting her in full-time daycare and probably would not be as happy as I am right now either. There were days where I was like, oh, I've been here two hours. I think he's been crying for, you know, two hours. Patrick De Silva's son also attended Nito, and he struggled with some separation anxiety. And that's really hard to hear. I mean, it's hard when it's other people's kids, but when it's your own, you know, that really like pulls at you. I think the benefit, and this is where they've been really great here in terms of their model and their philosophy, is that if our son was having a really hard time, then they would just send us a message and say, oh, you know, could you come back and just help him settle down for a couple minutes? And so that was really great. Tiffany's clear that this model wouldn't work for everyone. Nito caters to a certain kind of white-collar worker. But it does provide very real support, especially for women who are working outside of a traditional full-time job or trying to get back to work. A lot of women, like more than 15%, spend time out of the workforce after a first child is born. And most of the time, that wasn't their initial plan. There are a lot of reasons for this. Not enough flexibility. Demands at home, workplace discrimination, and a lack of good childcare options are all big factors. So there's something radical about the idea that you could have a space for productivity and being a kick-ass professional, and you can casually breastfeed and have this burst of kid energy at lunchtime. When you look at surveys of CEOs and they're asked, who is the ideal worker? A majority will say someone with no caregiving responsibilities. Bridget Schulte is a journalist and the director of the Better Life Lab at New America. She's also the author of Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. Bridget is an expert in how to live your best life, but in a public policy way. So the workplace today is really set up with a worker who has nothing else in their life to do but work. Come in early, stay late, eat lunch at your desk. It's like we don't really value performance, which is sort of crazy when you think about it. Bridget says that ever since the Industrial Revolution, workplaces were built by men for men. And women were the ones who were supposed to stay home and take care of everything that was revolving around home and children and family. And and I have to say, that is the way most workplaces are still set up. So in the 1970s, a flood of women started entering the workforce. And basically the idea was, and still is, that women and mothers need to fit their lives around those super rigid work environments. But the whole premise of NIDO is to build work around parenthood. 
You know, I would say that women have changed about as much as they can. And now it's time for the workplace to change. And it's time for men to change. And it's time for policy to change. Women can't change anymore. <laughs> women can't do anymore. You know, forget about having it all. They're doing it all. And it's exhausting. Have you seen this trend at all of people coming up with creative ideas and trying to find new paths forward for this more integrated work family life? You know, when you look at the surveys, it's true that all the generations, you know, millennials, Gen X, even baby boomers, say they value work-life balance. The difference is millennials think they should get it. You know, whereas, you know, people, I'm sort of tail end of the baby boom, there was more of this resignation like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, bummer. <laughs> you know, I can't ever have that. You know, there's sort of this wistfulness or despair. And I think that's what's exciting is that you've got younger generations who are saying, wait a minute, this is nuts. And why should we put up with this? And so you've got young parents at the New York Times or at Lyft getting together and changing policy from within. The whole idea of having on-site child care, or wouldn't it be great if you're nursing, go down and see your kid. And why does that have to be such an outlier? Tiffany doesn't want this to be an outlier. She thinks that this should be more of the norm one of many childcare options available to parents. She's even coached women across the country who want to open their own spaces. I think we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift with this. I don't know how long it'll take, but I do think this is going to become the norm. I think integrated work and family life and a whole different approach to work and working hours. We're at the beginning of that right now. You know, there's a huge movement about working remotely and, you know, traveling the world with your laptop while you're working. And that's one piece of this new approach to work. Having a rooted community around your work and your family is another important approach. And here at The Double Shift, we believe that when you're radically reinventing workspaces, it's important to have a lot of snacks. Strawberries and Newtons. I, I can share some Newtons with you at my home. Thanks so much for listening to The Double Shift. Don't forget to go take that listener survey at thedoubleshift.com slash survey. And be sure you're following us on Instagram at thedoubleshift. That's where all the fun is happening. In two weeks, we are back for some very real talk about what it actually takes to make this show. And we'll be sharing some special announcements about the future of The Double Shift. You won't want to miss this. Our executive producer is Sarah Ventry. Our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. This episode was also produced by Lewis Wallace. Our editor is Rachel McCarthy. Production assistance from Asal Asanipur and Piper Payne at Nido Mastering. Special thanks to the Southern Documentary Fund. Our music is by Travis Morrison. Our theme song is by Palehound. And we're part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. This show is made possible in part through the generous support of the Ford Foundation. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Thanks for joining The Double Shift. <laughs>